Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the School of Travel's podcast. Today, we're going to travel from North America to Europe to Asia and all the way back to Europe again with my guests, Josh and Kaylee, a couple from the United States, who I first became familiar with when I came across their YouTube channel, Expats Everywhere, while preparing for my move to Portugal in 2020. Josh and Kaylee were only a couple of months ahead of me in the Get Your Residency in Portugal game, but they were also doing it with a young child and a dog. On this podcast, we have covered traveling with a pet and being a child living an expat life, but we've never covered traveling with a child. So I wanted to bring Josh and Kaylee on to share their story of traveling right after university, teaching in four different countries, and then deciding to become parents and continuing to travel with their young daughter in tow. As you will learn, their daughter, despite only being two years old, has definitely inherited her parents' love for travel. So what's it like when you've been traveling for a while and then you add a child into the mix? Let's get into the interview with Josh and Kaylee and find out. Welcome to episode 78 of the School of Travels podcast. Today, I'm here with Josh and Kaylee from Expats Everywhere, the great YouTube channel about expats who are living in many countries around the world. Josh and Kaylee, welcome to the podcast. Thanks hey, for having thanks us. for having us. Thank you. So Josh and Kaylee, I know you've been to a lot of different countries and I want to start at the beginning. First, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you started traveling and leaving the U.S. to check out these different countries? Yeah, I think something really um, formative for me was my my years in college uh, where I was a part of a, a men's soccer program and we had a lot of international students. We had a lot of international players and I was in a locker room with a lot of different nationalities that were represented. And it just got me curious about uh, culture and language and you know, learning where people are from. And then my junior year, I did a study abroad during the summer. And that was my first time being away from home. I'm a, a small town kid and I was away from home and I realized, you know what, I'm not getting homesick and I'm not missing it the way everyone said I was going to. And that really opened my eyes to the possibility of traveling and living abroad. And then mine was quite different. Um, my family, we traveled a lot as a kid. My, for my dad's job, we traveled nationally, internationally. And so I just loved being abroad and traveling. And when I was in college, I wanted to do a study abroad, but I didn't want to do it by myself. And I couldn't find anyone who would actually go with me. And then my senior year, I met Josh, who he had already graduated and was talking about moving abroad. And I was like, oh, wait for me and and I'll go with you. And of course, it was like we had just met each other. Like, should we do this? But he waited and, and we left for Spain. That was our first place that we went to and then eventually got married and have been doing this now since 2009. Never look back. Only look forward. Let's go. Wow. Yeah, I have to say I have a similarity with you in the study abroad. Also in my junior year, I did a study abroad and, and I, I agree that was what really changed the trajectory. And I had the same. I didn't feel homesick and I thought there's so much out there. Why should we only explore our large country, but still just one country? Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's okay, exactly so- right. I mean, yeah. So you went to Spain first and how did you just move to Spain and, and how long did you live there? What did you think about your first place in Spain? Yeah, both of us had different jobs when we were in Spain. Um, so we were in Madrid. We lived there for a total of two years, but I went there with the the intent to study a master's degree in um, bilingual and multicultural education. And in conjunction with studying that degree uh, at a university that is is technically based outside of Madrid, but we had classes in the city, uh, we were given internships at different schools around the city. And I was working with a school that was uh, equivalent to like a charter school in the U.S. It was part public, part private. And um, during my first year, I was able to do my master's and do this internship. And the second year they kept me on, but my salary package changed, thankfully, because I was on very little money the first year. 
so I started earning kind of more of a, a Spanish wage at the time. And it was, it was great. Now, Kaylee had a different living situation and work situation. I'll let her chime in on that. Right. So like I said, you know, Josh and I hadn't known each other that long anyway, and we were just dating when we moved. So I thought that getting into education, teaching sounded like the worst thing in the world. I had friends who were education majors in college, and I was like, that's going to be awful. You know, that sounds terrible. So when we first decided to move abroad, we saw that, especially in Europe, being an au pair is a big thing. And it's, you know, kind of caters to younger women, um, maybe sometimes right outside of university or college, um, but younger women who can live with the family or live near a family and take care of their kids. And I love that stuff. I babysat. I was a nanny um, in college, like in the summers. So that's the route that I took. So I became an au pair and I lived with the family that I worked for. There was a young girl who at the time when we moved there, she was only six months. But the whole point for me being there is her mom wanted her to grow up with a, with English in the house. So I lived with them uh, for the two years we were there. And then after that, Josh and I had decided to move on. We got married and then we moved on to our next destination, which was South Korea. Yep. Wow. Okay. Just a quick question about that, Kaylee. Where did you find the au pair position? I went to a website, which still exists, even though this is a long time ago, and it's called greatopair.com. So I just kind of started researching what an au pair was because it's not a common term that we use in the States. I don't think we just kind of talk about being a nanny, which is similar. Um, some of them even on the website are live out so you don't necessarily have to live in. But I went to greatopair.com and I know that there's a few other ones that are um, out there right now. So if you just search like being an au pair in and the country you want to be in and they're doing they're getting better at giving au pair visas and such because, uh, you know, for a while it was only a few countries. I know France has always been big with their visa option there, but Spain wasn't always great with it. Um, but they're getting better uh, offering like certain type of temporary visas for au pairs now too. So I would go to one of those websites where you can search and um, generally families can post on there. Like uh, the one that we did, I didn't have to pay to create a profile. It was the family who was looking for an au pair, like the families had to pay. So they would create what they wanted uh, on there. And then um, we just kind of get paired up. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm glad that that website still exists. Okay. So then you went to South Korea so far from Spain. How was that experience for you? It was a massive shift. Um, it was a massive <laughs> shift. You know, we, we knew nothing about Asia. Um, I mean, as, as you can probably attest to, we don't really study Asian culture, or Asian history in school. So it was, uh, it was completely foreign to us. And, um, when we decided to move to Asia, we didn't know it was going to be South Korea, but we knew that we wanted to be on the continent of Asia. And we took a look at three different countries that would allow us to, to, to move there. What we thought was relatively easy, uh, Japan, South Korea, and Malaysia. And towards the end of, of our time in Spain, Kaylee got her, her TEFL cer certification. So she had some kind of foothold into the ESL game. Uh, and then with my education master's, it was, it was much kind of easier for me. I had two years of work experience and an education master's. So I had already built up both the diploma side and the, uh, the, the experience side for us to make the move. But long story short, we just saw that uh, South Korea was going to be kind of the path of least resistance. And since we knew nothing about any of the three countries, we were just like, okay, let's go to South Korea. Yeah, we hadn't been to any of them. We actually hadn't traveled to Asia at all. So it was like, okay, let's just try this out. And I kind of got to the point where we, we were talking, like, if we're going to continue doing this and getting into education is going to have to be the route. So reluctantly, I did get that TEFL and it worked out though. I, I ended up enjoying it, even though I didn't think I would. <laughs> yeah. Culture shock from the get-go though. Yeah, definitely in Korea. <laughs> what kind of culture shock did you guys feel there? Well, immediately, and I do have to preface things by saying that we were not in Seoul. We were in Busan and Busan is the second largest city um, by population. So we're still talking like 5 million people as a lot of people. Uh, and coming from Madrid, I think when we were in Madrid at the time, it was probably around 5 million people as well. So it was comparable in terms of population, but the density was really different. Like, yeah, it seemed like people were on top of each other. Um, 
and then everything was in Korean, right? So where we were used to seeing signs even in, in Spain that were in Spanish, but we could decipher, you know, what the letters were and how to say the word or, or get close. In Korean, there was none of that. We were just seeing like lines. Characters, yeah. Characters, yeah. So that was really difficult. Uh, the food was was so different. Uh, Kaylee and I, just before we moved there, we were kind of back in the States for just a little bit of time visiting family. We were down in Florida and we decided, you know what, we should probably go to a Korean restaurant and try out the food before we just move there, see if we like it. Uh, fortunately, at that restaurant we went to, we did like it. And then when we moved, we really found a great appreciation for Korean food. But at the end of the day, like it's it's really different. You're going to the grocery store, not really knowing your way around um, a foreign currency that is is very foreign with a lot of numbers involved. Uh, at the time, it was like a thousand Korean won was one dollar. So yeah, you're having to calculate with a lot of a lot of zeros. Yeah, like you get paid in millions. <laughs> yeah, you get, you're a millionaire your first paycheck. Uh, it's just funny. Yeah, those those little cultural things that kind of catch you out. Well, and even still, I mean, nowadays, things like K-pop are more common to see worldwide, but mm. then it wasn't. So they, yeah. their K-pop culture, I mean, it's a, it's a huge thing. Um, the way they have like their boy bands and their girl bands and all the middle schoolers want to be like them. We were there like when Psy blew up. Oh, yeah. You yes. know, Gangnam Style. Like mm -hmm. we were we were living there and it's like the song actually makes a ton of sense to us while as it was just whereas it was just catchy to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it it gave exposure, I suppose, to Korean music at least initially. But it wasn't a big thing when we were there. So just kind of learning um, their little hand characters that they do and their funny little faces, and then how all the kids want to mimic that and be like them, and yeah. uh, just different. I mean, it, that's where I guess the culture shock also set in. That it was just it, just different, though. And we felt <laughs> like foreigners. Oh, oh, we look like foreigners too. <laughs> we stick out a little bit there. <laughs> you know how it is, Tokyo, Becky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had all those years in Japan. And it's funny you shared that story of eating Korean food in Florida. I actually tried Japanese food for the first time in Ohio, where I'm from. And I'll never forget thinking that the wasabi must be like guacamole. And so I had so much in one bite in Ohio. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, definitely not guacamole. Um, but I'm oh, curious, yeah. like... How do you how do you support each other? How do you, are, do you differ in your adjustment to these vastly different cultures, or how do you work as a couple with that? Because I can imagine people listening to this going, "They are so brave. How do they get over the fear of, of being in such a foreign environment?" I think we definitely adjust differently. Josh just jumps right in with language and talking to people and looking like an idiot, I guess. And I'm a little more reserved, like, no, don't make me speak. And he he would just get to the point because I would always we'd go to a restaurant or something. I'd be like, OK, go ahead. And he would be like, you have to practice. But I just would be so nervous make practicing. Yeah, I would always make Josh order. Um, and sometimes he just would, he would just sit there awkwardly, like until I spoke and I was like, oh gosh, okay. So which is more embarrassing just sitting here? Like we're, you know, have no idea what's going on or just me trying to fumble through it. So I would think adjustment wise, I'm a little more reserved and I get more nervous of trying new things. Like first time on a bus, you know, going in a direction and you're just pretty much like, Josh is just like, okay, let's just do it. And I'm like, yeah. 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 I got to say the, the most embarrassing moment for you. Uh, at least to my memory, had to be that time in Spain on the bus. Yeah, Get, getting on the bus, going out to to Kaylee's house. Where I, yeah, where I thought I knew, uh, <laughs> I thought I knew at least a little bit of Spanish. You know, we learn in school, and I thought, I mean, it's a little embarrassing. I'm half Cuban, um, but we didn't speak Spanish in the house growing up. So yeah, I get to Spain, and I think I can get around a little bit. And he just. We're getting on the bus, like the the kind of local bus to take us out to Kaylee's village where she lived. And Kaylee is in front of me and we're, we're stepping on the bus. And granted, it's a bit loud, but we're stepping on the bus and she's maybe one or two steps in. And I'm just kind of at the doorway and I can hear the guy ask the question clearly, where are you going in Spanish? And Kaylee just freezes. And he asks again, and a line is forming behind us. And I just, you know, peer around and, and I answer the question. 
And man, when, when we got to our seats, you know, to sit down for the bus ride, just looking at Kaylee to see how dejected she was and embarrassed. It was so funny. It was really bad. But I guess to answer your question, like Kaylee's right. I just, I tend to just jump in and where we support each other is more on the front end and just affirming each other. Like, yes, we're going to do this. Let's go. We can make this happen. Um, I do think that it's probably more difficult for, for single people to do this. I have thought about like, wow, what if I didn't have uh, a partner that wanted to travel or a partner at all, for example, and, and I, I, I wanted to travel and get out there. I know the experience would be different. I would have to be more self-reliant. I think that I could do it, but um, definitely having someone else with me makes it easier. And I feel like at times, like I have to be brave because I know that she's not going to be brave. <laughs> So if I'm not the one doing it, then nobody will. Um, so I try to, yeah, I force myself to step up for both of us. Yeah. And then I think it's also nice that you have someone that you can kind of decompress with, mm. I guess, like, cause we, in Korea, we worked at different schools. So, you know, in the mornings we were in different directions and then we'd get home and especially at the beginning, there's always something new to talk about that happened. Um, and kind of process, I guess. So it is nice to travel with someone that you can have that person that you, that gets what you're going through. Cause it's like, it was their first day too. Mm. Um, and you can just chat about what that was like and what it's going to be like moving forward. And so it's a little easier, I think, to understand, because I think if you're by yourself and you, you, you know, you'll have friends, but they won't quite get it. Cause they're not literally going through the exact same thing you're going that day going through that day, you know, so it's, it is, I think a little easier with them, but yeah, yeah, it's not as likely, but maybe in different country or something. So there's still going to be differences, but, Mm. um, but yeah, so it's much easier to, to talk about that stuff, I guess. Yeah. I think it's really nice that you do come from a similar culture, the same culture really. And you've been able to have those years uh, working together and knowing each other, you know, at first in, the U.S. then Spain, and and you're getting better and better. I'm sure as you went along. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, sometimes for our channel, we have to kind of we have to put ourselves back at level one. We have to think like like level one um, expats and remember what it was like when we first got started because that's where most of our audience is at, and it's. It's difficult sometimes. Really, we just have to be be cognizant of it and and do it. But yeah, we've we've certainly learned how to smooth things out along the way. But we only learn that by experience. Yeah, and speaking of experience, I was watching your channel on YouTube, and I remember you mentioning we used to live in Saudi Arabia, and I was just like, wow, that's a. I've really been to very few countries in that region and have never been to Saudi Arabia. Why did you go there? And what was that like? Yeah, I think that that will take us a bit back to Korea. So we were finishing up our first year. We were about a year, year and a half of of the way uh, into our Korean experience. And we just, we started to, I don't know, get get kind of put off by, by some aspects of life living in Korea. And we started to think, uh, where next? And, you know, at the time this was, give me the year 2012. Yeah. Uh, 2013. Yeah. 2012, 2013. Um, the middle East was in terms of English, like ESL work, it was getting very big, very popular. And, becoming a little more sophisticated in terms of hiring and, and, you know, work, work environment was improving that type of thing. Pay was still really high. Um, You're talking about like some pretty fantastic cities, especially uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai uh, in particular. And we started looking at the Middle East at large. And um, I was getting really excited about the prospects of traveling a new region and exploring a new culture I had always had a little bit of fear or anxiety towards things going on in the Middle East. And I, I felt like I was, I was being a bit irrational because Western media had, had portrayed the Middle East a certain way, certainly through like Desert Storm, if you remember the, the Gulf War. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the Twin Towers, everything was kind of you know, pinned on Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and, and all of that. So there was a lot of fear towards people that were Muslim and people that looked a certain way. 
And I didn't like that. I didn't like that I, I felt that way without actually knowing those people or, or coming in contact with that culture. So I ran this, this wild idea by Kaylee and I was like, I really want to get rid of that um, and, and experience what the Middle East is like for ourselves or for myself. Are you on board with me? And she said, I said, yes, let's go to the Middle East. I'll go anywhere but Saudi Arabia. So no. I said, I said, deal. I, I said, deal. Like, we'll, we'll, you know, find work elsewhere. I had really wanted to go to either Abu Dhabi or Dubai. Both of those places looked phenomenal. And we made a connection in Korea. And that person had uh, a friend that had just started up a school in, uh, in Dubai. And the school was like a year, two years old when we applied. Long story short with that, we, we did apply, we got the jobs and we were starting the visa process and the school was so disorganized. The admin was so disorganized. It threw up a lot of red flags for us. I'm not a very organized person. Kaylee is highly organized. She's like more type A when it comes to that. And I'm, I'm much more type B, but she has taught me how to be more organized and taught me how to be a little more type A when it comes to stuff like that. So even the stuff that they were doing was annoying me. And I was just like, you know what? Th there, there are too many problems on the front end. What is it going to be like when we get there? Like, are we going to have these problems carry on to our day-to-day -day job? We're at this point, we're full-time or, or, or full-on professional teachers. We, we take teaching seriously. We had just gotten our um, state certifications in the state of Florida. So we could teach in the US if we wanted to. Uh, so we're fully licensed. We're ready to like make a, a career out of teaching. And we were like, we're not going to go somewhere that's super disorganized. So we told these guys like, you all need to get your stuff together. We're not taking the jobs. Like let's end the process here. And I went back out to kind of the, the job market found a, a company on Dave's ESL, believe it or not, and uh, really quickly um, got connected with a guy that was from my dad's, the town that my dad was living in. Um, his mom was living there as well. And uh, he was the director at the school that we ended up working for. It was a university program in, in Saudi Arabia. And that was a whirlwind. Like things happened very, very fast after we said, yes, we'll come to Saudi Arabia. Because what ended up happening is it was pretty late in the game um, to be looking for a job, which is not great either in the Middle East if there's jobs still available at this time of the year, uh, like late into the spring for the next school year. They're usually the garbage jobs that nobody wants. Yeah, no one wants. Um, but what had happened with this company is uh, being university, the university had like a rise in students enrolling. And so they told them pretty late, like, hey, we need more classes. And so then this like this organization was like, oh, well, now we need to hire more teachers. And we just happened to catch them like practically the day that they posted that, that they needed more teachers. So it was a good program and we had a good experience, um, even though we did find the job late. But um, it, it just worked out that they were, you know, last minute had to hire more teachers. And so so we went off to the place that I said I didn't want to go to. That's it. <laughs> And how was it? What was it like living in Saudi Arabia? Which town were you guys in? Uh, well, I've got to say that our first 24 hours um, internally, I kept this to myself. Kaylee and I spoke about it years later, <laughs> but we we arrived at the airport in Dammam, and which is the eastern side of Saudi Arabia. And I thought, what have I gotten us into? Like, are we going to make it? Are we going to survive? Th things looked so different. And at the same time, things looked so familiar from um, like war movies, like Desert Storm war movies. It was it was insane. Now, granted, this is not to say that things looked like hyper dangerous, but it's like when you're when your mind is filled with like these images, you you can't help but like make connections that are maybe irrational. Um the experience overall was a really positive one. There were moments where we felt very isolated because of our living situation and you know different things that were happening in the Middle East at the time. Um, we were in a town called Alhasa. It's, it's like Alhasa Hafuf. It's in the, the eastern province, not very big. 
if you tell a Saudi person that that's where you live, they, they kind of shake their head and they're like, I'm sorry. Like as a (laughs) foreigner, I'm sorry that you had to live there. Uh, But it's, I mean, it's a fairly high population there. I think over a million people live in that that area. There's a big university there too. So people do go there for the university. And obviously that's where we were working. So we were in a smaller area and it's not too far from the mom. Like, like Josh said, that's where we flew in from. Um, and yeah, it was just a crazy experience getting in because immigration was awful. I mean, we were in line, a line for hours trying to just get through immigration. There were so many people. And then by the time we get through our driver, um, had, I guess, waited so long that he just taped our, our names to like a little pole. Um, so we're like looking, we know that there's supposed to be a driver picking us up and we're looking and then we just see our names taped to this pole and no one's really around it. We'll stand by it. And we, there's a guy kind of close and we think we're like, okay, this is us. And he's like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't put that there. You know? So we're just like, he didn't say that in English. No, no. He just kind (laughs) of like the face, like, oh, you know, shaking his head, like, oh, not me, not me. And we're like, okay. So I guess we stand by this pole with our name. And then finally, you know, the driver comes running up, but he doesn't speak English either. And then we've got to drive to this area, which is still a couple hours. It was probably midnight by that time. We were so tired from travel. Um, the bus kept like that. The van. the van that we were in kept having tire problems. So we had to keep pulling, pulling over. And we're just driving out in the desert in the middle of nowhere. We're just like, okay. And so finally by like 3 a.m. we get there and uh, Josh just fell asleep right away. And I told him obviously later as well, I sat at the table and cried because <laughs> I was like, what have we gotten ourselves into? I was so tired. It was just very overwhelming. And we couldn't take our dog with us. That was another thing that was hard. We had gotten our dog in Korea, but Middle East isn't, you know, super dog friendly. And there's a law that you can't even take dogs in the cabin. Um, you can't even take dogs in the cabin. Um, but um, so our dog is so small that that's how we normally travel with him. That And we weren't we wouldn't put him in cargo at all. So we had to leave him with my parents back in the States, which uh, was also something that was uh a little stressful. So yeah, it was, but it overall, it was a good experience. We lived on a compound. We met a lot of um, fun people. The compound was normal life because you're walled in. So we had a pool you could wear, you know, girls could wear a bikini at the pool. So you didn't have any sort of covers while on the compound. Um, And you're, you know, you kind of work and live with the same people, depending on what size your compound is. Ours was more like a neighborhood rather than a city. There are some there that are like big cities that are um, a lot more open. So it just depends on on what your living situation is like. But overall, it was a good experience being able to meet um, Saudis and being able to travel the Middle East was a lot of fun. It's actually a great location because it's so central within the world. So we were able to like visit a friend in South Africa fairly easily. And so um, so it was a great location for travel. Wow. I mean, I could do a whole episode on your further experiences there. But yeah, I had heard that you usually live on a compound. And um, I have to ask, like, Josh, by the end of this experience, did you accomplish the goal you set out when you got there? Did you feel like you now knew what it was really like in Saudi Arabia? And was it different than what you had seen on the, in the media? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really glad that you actually asked that question. Um, for sure. We we met some extremely nice people. We found that most Saudis, most all Saudis are, are really curious about Americans and they have some sort of connection to the States, whether they studied there or they have an, an uncle that moved there or they visited or, or something. Uh, it just seemed like so many of the Saudi people that we met had a connection. Uh, we were able to travel everywhere that we, we wanted to travel within the Middle East bar. Uh, Kuwait. Kuwait. Thank you. Because uh, we had some friends that were living in Kuwait, but we never got to link up with them. But yeah, I mean, I found I found the culture there to be fascinating. It's not a place that I would want to live long term at all. But it's a place that if we needed to, we could go back and uh, wouldn't really have many issues. That's wonderful. I've, I've always wanted to visit as well, but I know you guys had a really special experience there being teachers. And I'm sure when you told the locals you were teaching at the university, they had a lot of respect and would get would treat you differently also than just a tourist coming around. And I know now that Saudi Arabia is more open to tourism in the last couple of years. Yeah, 
when we lived there, they the um, they didn't actually have a tourist visa, so you had to have a different type of visa, work visa, or something special to get in. But they did. Uh, I think it was 2019, 2018, 2019. They uh, came out with a, a tourist visa, so they're definitely opening up and changing things a little more. When we were there, the king that had been um, the king for a while, he passed away, and his brother took over, who was also old, and but his brother appointed one son to kind of to take the reins on things and he's opened things up a bit more which you kind of saw this inevitable shift because of social media and just every kid you know has a phone and they can see what what's going on everywhere else and uh, the desire to either be like that or travel somewhere so that's something that definitely Saudi Arabia was closed off for so long because you couldn't even you know travel casually uh, there, but then social media kind of opened it up, phones and technology and everything. So then the the king's son has been slowly opening things up as well, um, which has been cool to see. I mean, we've even talked about, uh, I guess, while we were there, there were so many places in the Middle East to see that there's, a. I mean, Saudi's a huge country that we didn't even get to see some of the places we would have liked to there. So we've mm-hmm. even talked about at some point, like traveling back uh, on vacation to see some of those cities that we didn't get to while there. For sure. Yeah, I hope that you guys do. And I, and maybe I can join you. Who knows? Um, I, okay, yeah, I want to make a... Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I do want to make let's a huge go. jump now. <laughs> I'm going to make a huge jump to the country that we're all in now, uh, Portugal. You are now residents of Portugal. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you ended up here in Portugal and also talk about how you had a daughter and now life has changed a lot because you're traveling with a child as expats. So first let's talk about Portugal. How did you end up here? Okay, sure. So when we lived in Madrid, our first place, we had traveled to Portugal a few times, actually. And it was funny at that time when you would tell people in the States, like, we're going to Portugal, they'd be like, where is that? No one knew where it was. We always called it the hidden gem because it was we we loved coming to Portugal and specifically Porto. Porto was our favorite. And you know, being in Europe, being able to travel, we didn't circle back to too many places just because there's always somewhere else to go to. But Porto was one of those places. And even when Josh's dad came to visit one time, they went to Porto um, just to visit, uh, you know, Madrid, Porto and a few other places. But we just said one day we would love to live here. You know, it would be a nice place to live. But then we were off in Asia for so long. It was Korea. It was Saudi. And we were in Singapore after that. And we loved our time there. But in Singapore, after four years or so, we thought it would be really nice to get back to the European culture. That's something that we want to come back to. And so we started looking at different countries and Portugal popped back up. And of course, we remember our time, our visits from uh, when we lived in Spain. And we were just like, let's take a look at this. And that's when we found the D7 visa and how it was totally doable. And then along the way, while we were in Singapore talking about this transition, I found out I was pregnant. So I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to navigate this? So pretty much what ended up happening is we had planned on going back to the States for a little bit in transition. But then after finding out I was pregnant, I had uh, about a third of the pregnancy was in Singapore. And then we finished out, had our child in the US and then moved to Portugal. And I think because in Singapore, we worked at an international school. So we saw that it's very doable to live abroad with kids and travel abroad with kids. Because when we were, when we first got married, people would say, oh, you know, do this now before you have kids. Because once you have kids, you can't, you can't do this anymore. And we thought that's the weirdest thing that people would say. Of course we can do this. We're seeing other people do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to do this. So we also set expectations with family members like, hey, you know, when we do have kids, that doesn't mean we're moving back to the States. We continue. We want to continue doing this. And I think living in Singapore and working at an international school, we just saw how how easy it would be, you know, how you could totally do that. And so we said, we're going to do it with our kid when she's born. That's it. All right. And how old was your daughter, Sia, when you moved to Portugal? And what has it been like adjusting to finally being expat parents? She was nine months whenever we moved here. And, um, you know, getting here, traveling across the the time zones, we we thought actually we were going to have a difficult time with that. She adjusted really quickly. Um, so that was a blessing. In terms of of being expat parents and how that shifted, 
I don't think that we fully felt the impact just yet because uh, we haven't had to get her in in a school and start meeting, you know, either expat parents or local parents. I mean, sometimes when we take her to the playground, we'll meet locals and or, or even other foreigners. A lot of times when we meet foreigners, though, they are they're just like traveling uh, through Porto. Um, so that's a little different. I think once we get her in school in September, the the experience will shift. You know, we get a lot of people asking us the question about what are great international schools in Portugal? What are primary schools like? What can you tell us? And it's like really difficult for us to, to give any concrete advice because we don't have firsthand experience with it. Like we can tell people what's out there in terms of what's online and what the reviews are saying about places or where international schools are located. But having any sort of firsthand experience and speaking to a lot of parents at large and, and getting, you know, more of a survey done on the landscape of international schools and private schools and local schools for foreign kids, it's hard for us to do. I think, too, um, what ha- happens, like I was saying earlier, that I would always get very nervous with the language or doing something for the first time um, on my own, trying to talk with someone. But when you have a kid, you have to do it. Like you're kind of, I mean, like when she we moved here when she was nine months and the first few years, they're still, you know, they have to do these health checkups at doctors and they have to get these, uh, the regular vaccinations and everything. And so it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to walk into this clinic and, you know, try to fumble through Portuguese or see if they speak English and figure out, okay, I need to have my nine month old, I need to find a doctor for Um, but you kind of have to, and you feel forced to. So I think that's been one thing that it's just kind of, while I tell people I wear black a lot because I sweat when I get (laughs) nervous. Um, so you see me in black a lot in videos because I just, I sweat when I get nervous and I sweat a lot. So it's like, okay, I'm going to put my black shirt on and I'm going to go try to talk to this person and see what the, what the, you know, routine is of how they do things here. Cause they do a lot of that stuff differently. So you just kind of have to have to go with it. And, um, with us, like with her starting like a little preschool next month, we, you know, it's all in Portuguese, which is something that we want her. It's a private crash, but we want it to be in Portuguese so that she's able to learn the language. But the good thing is the director speaks English, but it doesn't seem like her teacher speaks much. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to be one of those things that we're okay. We fumble through, we figure it out. And it's something that you kind of just have to do. And it'll help um, our Portuguese. Though. Yeah. It'll help our Portuguese. It'll help us get an idea more of the system. And for me, like the thought of it makes me nervous, like to get started, like that, those first like couple days of like just the unknown. But I think once you do that, you, you figure it out and then you get into a full swing of things. So yeah, black shirt. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take Kaylee's first day of picture, a first day of school picture. <laughs> <laughs> In my black shirt, all sweaty, yeah. <laughs> you know, nervous. But um, yeah, I think that you, when, when you're a parent, it's just stuff that you have to do and you figure it out. And while you do the same thing in your home country, there's obviously a whole other element with language and just Culture. things yeah, culturally done differently that mm. you have to figure out and uh, you just power through, I guess. That's it. Yeah, I'll also add something, Kelly, with the black shirt. It's also great for wine tasting. I've definitely been wearing a shirt and had the wind just like knock the wine all over me. But just, you know, I was fine and it dried and you saw nothing. So here in Portugal, that mm-hmm. could be a, that could be a game changer. Keep the black going. <laughs> Yeah. Be careful with wine and acai. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you, you had mentioned, Kaylee, too, before that you grew up um, being half Cuban, but you didn't speak Spanish in the household. So I, has that is that also something you're taking into consideration now with your daughter thinking, you know, I want to put her into the local schools and help her really learn that language? Yes, absolutely. Because um, my my dad was in that area. That especially when a lot of Cubans were moving to the States, they came to the States and they assimilated. They became American. So that meant that culturally, language, they taught their kids English because they were going to be American. Um, And there's obviously been a shift and it's a good shift in the States now that you have 
kids that are learning a different language at home than they are, and then they're doing English at school or something like that, so that they are growing up bilingual, which I think is really, really important. But unfortunately, I was just in that time period. And I actually have friends who are in the same situation as me who are my age, and their parents came over and did the same thing. And so they don't speak Spanish either. So we just saw this. Um, this is kind of how it was for this little chunk of time. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you know, it's unfortunate because it obviously is perfect to learn from a young age and be bilingual. And it opens up a lot of doors for job opportunities, schooling, travel, all of those things. So yes, definitely saw that, um, you know, the time period that I grew up with a Cuban father that we we didn't speak Spanish. And now there's that shift and we see the importance of learning from a young age so that you have things down with pronunciation and grammar and you don't have the same worries or concerns of trying to learn or practice that, you know, kids, they just pick it up and get going with it. Whereas it's much harder as an adult and you have a lot more um, worries, I guess. So yes, we've de- we definitely see that it's a really important for her to learn Portuguese because we know too that maybe Portuguese isn't super widely spoken around the world. But once you learn that second language, um, it's going to be much easier to learn the next one and the next one, and especially the ones that have similarities, uh, a similar foundation. Yeah. And Kaylee's dad moved at age nine. So like his, his English is highly advanced. I mean, he's, he's fluent in both English and Spanish himself, but like she said, uh, uh, there was a time period where the Spanish speakers that were moving to the U.S. broadly looked at English as being the prestige language. So they wanted to give their their kids kind of a, an advantage by speaking speaking English. Whereas we know now in terms of linguistics, uh, it's best to speak the mother tongue at home. So for him, he could have been speaking Spanish using his mother tongue with, with his kids. His wife could have been speaking English. Uh, because she's a uh, full-blooded American. And uh, and then the kids are, are also uh, learning and working on their English at school. Um, now, for we, us, it's going to be different. Yeah, because- we don't want to teach Valencia Portuguese because we're not native Portuguese speakers. And to code switch on a kid is is actually not beneficial. Like a parent should stick with one language when they're speaking with the kid in terms of what all of the linguistic studies show. Yeah, that's really, really valuable to, to convey, I think, to everybody on this podcast. Um, I'm also curious, because you guys taught in an international school, in the future, would you like to put Valencia into an international school? Or would you like to try to keep putting her in local schools where you end up traveling to or living? That's a good question that a lot of people ask. I think I got some really good advice from someone that a lady named Miriam that we interviewed who lives in Lisbon and her husband's in the porting industry. So they move quite frequently. They have three kids and all three have been born in different countries. They have all sorts of passports between the five of them. And she said that when you move like the way that they do maybe every couple of years, the move itself is difficult for a kid anyway, any type of move like that, even if it's just moving to a different city and you're you're taken out of the environment that you know um, can be difficult. So a move is hard, but what's nice is if you have them in an international school, so if if they're in an American international school, let's say in one country, and then they move to a different country and they go to that American international school, they're going to find so many similarities that it is this comfort when they do move because they're going to see that generally if it's an American international school, they're run fairly similarly. They have a similar curriculum. They have similar times. Um, You'll get people from all over the world as well as Americans if that's what your culture is. So she just found that it was best to put them that nothing was wrong with public or private schools, but international schools made um, the transition transition to different countries much easier for her kids. And so that's something that has resonated with me because we don't know how long we'll be in Portugal. I mean, this is our fifth country, (laughs) fifth country abroad. Um, This is the first with her and we love Portugal and we plan on being here for a good amount of time, but we're not sure what that's going to look like in the future. And so possibly an international school would be the best option for a transition just to kind of have um, something that she knows as the same. Um, But I mean, we're not opposed to something public or private, but I think that if you're planning to stay in Portugal with your kids, then public is a good option 
Um, it kind of depends if they're older, it's tough if they're in middle school, I would say, because not only do they move over, Linguistically, that yeah, can be really challenging. yeah, they're it's, they don't know the language. And so it's hard to just get started in a completely new school and be lost materials, more technical like yeah, in terms of their studies. They, they, they might not be doing well in school early on because they of language issues, not because they don't understand the concepts of the thing that they're studying. Right. The subject. It's like, okay, you've got to learn science and learning science for them is hard enough, you know, but then you're doing it in a different language. So all these terms that you just don't know. So it's just hard to know. Yeah. Like Josh said, if it's, if it's the language thing or if it's a subject thing. So that's something that can be tough if your kids are older, but obviously since Sia will learn Portuguese from a young age, it's an option that we have available to us, but then it might be hard to transition somewhere else if she's uh, in a Portuguese public school. Well, and chiming in real quick on the international school thing here in Portugal, it's relatively affordable compared to international schools in other places we've lived. So that also is not a, a barrier to entry for us. It's like we look at the fees here and we're like, okay, we, we can't afford that. That's that's not prohibitively expensive like it is in Singapore, for example. So for us personally too, um, in Portugal, they have to be in school by the age of six in something formal. So we'll see how this crush goes. She's just two and a half now. She'll be three in January. I'd like to have her in something private like this um, for a few years if it goes well, because they set it up just like a school would be. So they have gym class and music class and those types of things. So I do like that there'll be that type of structure and she'll be learning those different subjects and those different, you know, the different vocabulary and Portuguese and everything. And then we'll see as she gets a couple years into it, what will look like, uh, you know, we'll start looking into the different international schools around and, and see what we think would be best for her and our family. Cause that's another thing people will ask about, you know, with kids, what, what should I do? And you really have to do what's best for you and your family and your situation. Right. Every, every situation is different. I, I am curious too, because I know that before you guys were both teaching and at one point you were an au pair, Kaylee, but now you have this YouTube channel, Expats Everywhere. I'd love for you to talk a little bit, a little bit about that, but also how you are working from home with your daughter and how you navigate that. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny one. <laughs> Well, expats everywhere started when we were in, in Saudi Arabia, um, because when you live on a compound, oftentimes you have a lot of free time. And what we found is, and kind of what is known among at least the community that we were in, those that did not have a hobby or side hustle went crazy. Uh, they, they kind of went into their own vices. Um, we won't get into that. So, so yeah, we, we decided to, um, I guess it was whenever we visited Singapore, we we were going through the process of transitioning again. And this was kind of three very quick transitions from Korea to Saudi, then to Singapore. And it was like having to do the same thing over and over again with the research and, and, and all of the administrative stuff. And we thought, you know, I would pay somebody to do this for me, this whole immigration process and whatnot. And I thought, well, if I would pay somebody, maybe maybe somebody would pay me. So that was where we first came up with the idea of, of expats everywhere. And we thought, well, how are we going to market this thing? What's, what's the marketing funnel going to look like? Well, there's this thing YouTube out there. Let's just put videos out there and people watch these amazing interviews that we do. And, uh, and people will just flood us with emails and, you know, we'll have all this business coming in. That's not what happened. But it was what our thought was that we were going to get all of these leads from the channel. Uh, the channel did not perform well. We had no idea what we were doing. The videos are archaic. We still have them on our, on our, uh, channel. If people want to go check them out, please don't. Um, <laughs> so it took several years for us to really figure out what we were doing and how YouTube works. And, um, we started to get better by buying better equipment, make the audio and video look better and, and just, improve kind of the the content as a whole and as we were doing that we realized we don't really love this whole consult uh, consulting thing where we have to meet people on their time zone and um you know it's quite daunting when you're talking about literally everywhere when you're when you're trying to get bespoke information about everywhere and you're having to reach into your network and speak to people so we decided to to like really buckle down for a year and focus on the channel and, and that's what we did during, yeah, really it was 2019. Um, 
leading up into the pandemic, we uh, we really worked hard on getting the channel right. And then the pandemic hit and things kind of shifted. We didn't know what the whole living abroad thing was going to be like. Uh, I'll let Kaylee, I guess, touch on on what it's like kind of remote working because we don't consider ourselves digital nomads because we're not nomadic. We we have a fixed location. We're not bouncing around every three months or so. We have a we have a resident visa, uh, but we're remote workers for sure because we we work from home uh, or, or digital workers because we work digitally. So when Valencia was really little, it was easier to shoot things because she was, you know, taking more naps frequently. Um, we could, well, actually a lot of stuff we did is when we were preparing our visa, we would go on walks around the neighborhood and we would just talk about what our next steps were and what we were doing. And we put all that stuff out in video form for people who would be going through the same process. So when she was really little, it was pretty easy because she wasn't mobile. She just, you know, hung out in her chair or in her stroller and we could shoot in between when she was taking naps. But obviously as she gets older, naps dwindle down, she gets moving, she gets bored if she's in a spot too long, she wants to run around and play. So Josh and I, when all of that happened, we we kind of had an understanding that I'm, I'm full-time mom and Josh is full-time expats everywhere. But then when, like right now, she still takes one nap in the afternoon and that's when I'm able to catch up on emails and uh, some of the things that I am in charge of, but it's a bit more of just like maintaining, which um, I think has been a little bit of a source of frustration for Josh because there's so we have so many ideas and so many things that we could be doing, but there's just, we don't have the time because we do have a toddler. So he is trying to implement some of those things as he can. And then we've, you know, we've uh, hired an editor who helps uh, with some of the videos, which has been nice because then that takes that load off of Josh for him to be able to do some more of the business side of things. But for me, I'm just maintaining what I can while I am a full time mom. And so it's going to be quite interesting when she does start crash because crash is five days a week, you know, uh, for six hours. So it, I think it's going to be like, whoa, this is weird. Like I have all this time. And so our hope is that we've already have this big list of of things that we want to start. And, you know, I think Josh thinks, okay, September 1st, we're starting all these. And I'm like, hmm. no, like we need to ease into it. I don't know what, what, you know, the schooling is actually going to be like. And if they start off like several hours a day or what, but, um, but then we have all these ideas that we want to start, start doing. So I think when she starts school, I'll have a little more time and we can start going a bit more. But for right now it's, just been full-time mom, which has been fun because, you know, we go to the zoo, we go to the aquarium, we do playgrounds, we do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, and then I get a little work done during the day when she takes her nap. Um, and then, yeah, you just kind of adjust as a mom and it'll be different in the next couple months, I suppose. Yeah. And like you said, I'm sure it's going to be an adjustment because you'll probably be feeling a lot of feelings those first few weeks too, when she's away for so long. And yeah, realizing how much free time you actually have. I also think what you guys said about really like defining the roles of what you're doing with work versus caring for your daughter is really important because um, even when I've been at home uh, with a boyfriend, we don't have children, but we've we've often discussed, okay, who's who's doing this or who's doing that? And it can it can take up a lot of your time. So it's really important to define those roles and get the routines going. Yeah, I think it's really important when you when you work remotely, you have to have some sort of schedule. And if you're working with someone else, especially if you're living with them, you do have to have a not like roles and who's doing what, like you were saying, because if not, then well, stuff can fall through the cracks or you can get frustrated with each other. Like, well, why didn't you do that? Why well, didn't know I was supposed to do that? So we kind of figured out really early on, as soon as as Valencia started moving around a lot, that it was just like, OK, I'm I'm with her. So I need you to do this. And if you need me to do something, you have to email me because during the nap, I'll mm -hmm. check the email. So actually, yeah. Josh and I, even though we're in the house together a lot, we email each other a lot because a lot. then it, it it puts it into our work. It's like work mm -hmm. mode being in our email. And then it's like, OK, I have a task I have to do because uh, it's in my email as opposed to just saying, hey, I need you to do this because then it's like I will 100 percent forget that as soon as she asks me to do it. And then Josh will be talking <laughs> to me when it's like I'm trying to, you know, get up with uh, well, she's eating and she's getting ready to throw her spoon or something. And I'm like, ah, you know, so don't ask me to do something then send it to me in an email. So you have to have that workflow as well. I, yeah. yeah. I think like you said, routine is, is really important. I think as people routine is important. I know that a lot of people want to count themselves as being adventurous and, and this, that, and the other, but like vast majority of us are very routine oriented and we work best when we're in routine. And what we notice whenever we travel like and try to do work is we're running at about 
percent more or less like we can get the filming and stuff done um but the other parts of of the business and the other parts of of digital creation become that much more difficult because yeah you have to balance like the fact that i'm traveling and i'm on vacation and i want to give experience to my kid and i want to be there for my kid like be present and not just be 100 percent work mode and then you have emails piling up and it yeah it's it can be stressful and you're out of your routine and you're not in a good workspace maybe in your hotel room or whatever so I think people going into the digital creation and, and traveling abroad space, they need to be aware that that it's it's challenging. Yeah, I think a lot of people discovered many elements of this just without planning because of the pandemic. So hopefully that people have gotten into these routines and, and they've realized. I think a lot of travelers too, like all of us. Here, it seems like we decided we're going to be residents. You, you were living in different countries for longer periods of time. I was traveling and, and realized, yeah, staying in a place and having that stability, it's going to be necessary for, for now and we'll see what happens. But I want to thank you guys so much for joining me and sharing all of your experiences. And I want to give people the chance to know where they, where they can follow you. So where's a great place to find out what you're doing? and contact you. Sure. Well, obviously our, our big thing is YouTube. So our channel name is expats everywhere, but then we're on all the socials as well. Um, Instagram, it's expats everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, all of those things. So any, anything that's expats everywhere. And then if you do have questions, you can email me at info at expats everywhere.com. Or if there's anything business related, then you can email Josh. His is contact at expats everywhere.com. Yeah. But check us out on YouTube. We'd love to have you over there as a subscriber and, uh, just get you informed on what's going on with uh, Portugal and living abroad. Thank you. My last question for you guys is what is next? Where would you like to travel when you get the next chance to do it with Sia? Oh, well, the, the next, we are not we are the book. <laughs> oh, where are you traveling to next? <laughs> in, in September, the, uh, the U S men's national team is going to be playing this. We're talking about soccer. Uh, they're going to be playing in Dusseldorf, Germany, and we're going to go there and catch a match, especially whenever those guys actually release the tickets. We've already booked the hotel. We bought the flight. They just haven't released the tickets for sale. So annoying. So we're big soccer fans. We used to, we played in university. We still follow it. Um, and it's funny because since Valencia is starting school in September, I told Josh, okay, no traveling in September until we figure out how school works. She gets into a routine. routine. And, yeah. And then of course, like these, you know, we see that, oh, at first it was like, they're going to be in Europe. So to do some pre pre-world cup friendly things. And so Josh was like, we should go. They're going to be in Europe. And I was like, when? End of September. And I was like, no, I told you not in September. But of course I lost out on that one, which is fine because we've been to several places in Germany, but not Dusseldorf. So I'm excited to try that out. Yeah. Um, so we already have that plan. We're going to Azorish in October. Mm-hmm. We have family visiting in October. We're going to travel a little bit with them. So we're already all over the place. We yeah. can't sit still. We can't sit still for too <laughs> long. Uh, and actually it's, it's not so bad, but it's, it's the, point where after a week or two back in Porto, Valencia, you know, two and a half will be like hotel, hotel, <laughs> airplane, yeah. airplane. So she's ready to go as well. We've created a monster. But yeah, we have. Yeah. But she likes the travel too. It's a she blessing, adapts though. well. Yeah. She adapts well. So she likes it. So that's what we have planned so far. We just have to get a dog sitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Travel as well as he used to anymore, but, but he's an easy dog because he's so small to just chill with someone. Well, I'm glad that Sia has your genes. It sounds like she got the travel on both sides. <laughs> and I'm glad she loves it too. Wonderlust. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, well, thank you guys again. And everybody check out Expats Everywhere on YouTube. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Thanks again, Josh and Kaylee, for sharing your incredible story with us and also continuing to help expats from around the world learn about different places to live and how to adjust to life in different countries, including our current one that we share of Portugal. I also enjoyed hearing Josh and Kaylee's perspective on becoming parents while also wanting to keep their travel dreams alive. I think too many people think that travel as you've known it before has to stop when you have kids. But throughout my own travels, I've met many parents traveling with their children, and those children were some of the wisest that I encountered. As author Mark Twain once famously said, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. 
broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. So I would say the earlier the better when it comes to getting out there and seeing different parts of the world. You can find links to the Au Pair website that Kaylee mentioned, along with links to their social media for expats everywhere in the show notes at theschooloftravels.com. And Expats Everywhere also had me on their YouTube channel recently to talk about my move to Portugal. So be sure to check that out on their channel as well. Happy traveling listeners. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this perfect world Everyone can ride a